You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey. You ready? Hey, grab that right there. Are you ready? Oh. Is you ready? Ready? You say you ready? Oh. Whole squad ready? Ready? Is you ready? Huh? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Whole squad hey. ready? We came here to see Jeff. What you Hi got? everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of the Clapback Block Show, featuring me, Joseph Young, and my co-host slash producer, the man who pushes the buttons behind the scenes, Mr. Tom Gillis. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing just fine, Joseph. I've got a belly full of Filipino food, and I'm ready for action. Okay, that sounds delicious. The Ducks won 17-7. So what were your thoughts on it? Uh, my thoughts on the game was that it was a very different game than anything we've played so far. I've heard it be, we beat Cal in probably the most Cal way possible. And I think what they were talking about there was that we struggled during the first half and then we got a quick score in the second half and just held on for the win, as Cal's been uh, wont to do for the previous uh, several wins they've had. I was also really confused about why they continued to run uh, die, especially after those couple of fumbles. I probably would have pulled the leash uh, a little bit sooner. What about you? As we all thought, it wasn't it wasn't projected to reach the uh, reach the the spread, which was like I believe it was 18 points that kicked off. The so Oregon didn't even reach a point spread by themselves. So I knew. Going in, Cal's defense was legit and probably one of the best defenses Oregon has faced this year to date. So I knew going in it was going to be a defensive struggle. I didn't know it was going to be that bad where Oregon turned the ball over multiple times in the first half and just let Cal hang around for a bit. But fortunately, the defense stepped up and shut down Cal for the most part. I agreed. Um, most coaches would have pulled die after his first fumble. But I think Coach Cristobal was trying to prove a point to everyone that, hey, Dye's my guy, so I gotta keep keep giving him the ball and Bradell was kinda hurt too. So that I think that exacerbated it a little bit. Yeah, they did end up going more for uh Habibi Likio uh, there towards the end of the game. Yeah. Um but I think that's mainly because they wanted to take advantage of his power rushing. Yeah, the Justin Hurt continues to be confounding to say the least, his passes are very, they don't they don't have very much anticipation to them. He just throws it straight to the guy or out of bounds, or it's just, there's no throwing guys open. Even though he's a four-year starter and a projected first-round pick, that's a bit of a concern against a better secondary. Yeah, especially when he's throwing through multiple levels of zone coverage. It seemed that, um, especially the two picks that he had in the red zone, yeah. um, seemed to go towards the receiver as they were going to be open. Um, yeah. But his, you're right, his anticipation was developmental at best during this game. Yeah. It's been an ongoing issue of, of his this season. And it's going like, to blow up in his face in the NFL where the secondaries are much better. I agree. 
But nonetheless, he still continues his uh, nation-leading uh, consecutive games with a touchdown pass streak. So at least get that going for him. Uh, at least the receiver is getting more healthy. And we saw a couple of guys coming back from injury that did very well. Brendan Schooler, and um, he got in a couple of catches on his return. And Micah Pittman, he he looks like a senior out there instead of a true freshman making his first start. So that was, that was nice to see. I was very impressed with Micah Pittman, uh, his ability to get himself open and create space with the defender was something that a couple uh, second or third year guys that don't even have a grasp of quite yet. Um, yeah. And it's going to be exciting to see how they integrate him into the, into the offense because um, with his uh, ball magnetism, uh, it seemed that every pass that uh, was thrown to him, he caught uh, with his mm-hmm. his sure hands and route running ability. Um, he's going to be a dangerous threat over the middle, whether it's uh, ten yards up or on a on a high post crossing route. Um, it's going to be a, a something that the opposing defenses are going to have to account for, and it's yeah. going to add that extra wrinkle, that extra dimension to our game. And it's going to be interesting to see how we take advantage of that, whether that's increasing uh, the volume of the run game or increasing the, uh, the number of reads that Herbert has to make, the more other receivers are going to be open. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see going forward. I don't really have a projection one way or the other right now, how that's going to look. Yeah, speaking of the run game, it looks much better last week than it did in previous weeks. They've, the running backs actually found some holes on the backside to exploit. That, that was amazing to see. Yeah, he knew that they can do that kind of thing, run on the other side. <laughs> Speaking of the defense, they stepped up big time to the plate and limited Cal to like seven points where that seven points was a miracle catch pretty much. Uh, yeah, I felt like our defense was really one of the things that kept us in the game. Um, yeah. I have to admit, I was a little bit concerned when Cumberlander went down, and apparently he's out for the year. Um, or then what that did was it opened up the window for Thibodeau to step up and show exactly what uh, his skill set is. Because yeah. up until now, he's been kind of a situational pass rusher. He got his first sack of his college career, and I think he had ended the game with two, just having that window open and getting more of uh, Thibodeau on the field is going to be huge for us, I believe. Yeah, uh, their left tackle couldn't handle Thibodeau at all. I've got a feeling we're going to be saying that more often. That's a Pac-12 defensive lineman of the week, Kayvon Thibodeau. Yes, it is. He's actually starting. Uh, he's actually listed as a starter on the death chart this week. As well, he should be. Um, it's either going to be him or DJ Johnson, um, and I'm uh, I'm really excited that it's going to be him. So I think everyone realizes that it was a uh, it was pretty much a defensive battle that Oregon fortunately won. So moving on to our Pac-12 seg- recap segment, the biggest game of the weekend was for Duck fans was Washington against Stanford, and Stanford just dominated the Huskies. Pac-12 offensively, Stanford, baby. Yeah, <laughs> like I said uh, last week, one of two things was going to happen: Washington was going to step up and prove that the last two weeks weren't a fluke or Stanford is going to step up and prove that they can play up to their talent level. And I think we saw the latter happen. Jordan Scarlett finally got a chance to, uh, to show off what he could do. 
think he had he had 151 yards of rushing on mm -hmm. 31 carries and a touchdown. Yeah, I think that's a career high for him, even. Yeah, I'm glad that Oregon played Stanford last weekend instead of this past weekend. I agree. And on the opposite side of that coin, uh, Jacob Eason looked bad. Looked, looked like he regressed to the first couple of weeks of yeah. the season. 16 of 36 for one touchdown and one pick. That's not, not something that you want to call your mom and told her that you did that weekend. Between him being inept, having a 60-minute brain fart, and then Washington practicing this weird concept of bend, don't break defense. It was, it was weird. I think they bent probably a little too far sometimes. Uh, Jet Toner went three for three uh, on field goals, and his longest was 36. When you're able to penetrate that far and come away with points, um, whether it's seven points or three points, it's going to be difficult to, to win games that way. Yeah, Stanford uh, definitely watched a USC tape against Washington. Because Washington's offensive line, they can handle the Stanford's defense. So it was that was interesting to see. So another game I kept an eye on was uh, Arizona and Colorado. And that was a very interesting game. What did you find so interesting about it, Joseph? It was a shootout. And, um, and Khalil Tate just went off for like 400 passing yards. It, I think it was finished 35 to 30. So it was pretty, it was pretty close. Yeah, Arizona just had too much offense for Colorado to keep up with. I remember uh, last year, I think it was, was it, uh, where Cleo Tate ran for uh, NCAA record for quarterback. Uh, uh, what was that? 375 yards or something like that against Colorado. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he didn't quite do that this, uh, this week, but uh, he did have 404 yards of passing. The stat that stood out to me the most was the 9.9 .9 yards per attempt. That's a first down every time that he threw the ball. If you're getting a first down every time you throw the ball, you're going to have a good game. They also only had one five-yard penalty the whole game. They showed good uh, mental discipline, mm -hmm. Arizona did. Uh, it was also evident that Colorado was having trouble getting over their injuries. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting for Colorado how they respond this week against a much better defense, we think. Yeah, uh, they have their uh, Chris Miller, their team's leader in takeaways, is out for the season, I think. Um, and just announced that a starting offensive lineman is going to be out getting his gallbladder removed, I think. Um, mm -hmm. so another shuffling of the big guys up front. Another game I kept, we kept an eye on is the... Uh, the bottom feeder of the Pac-12 Bowl called Oregon State UCLA, and it got interesting late, but Oregon State just blew them out, blew UCLA out, and it it was pretty much decided by halftime, and then UCLA just made made a little little bit of a comeback. Somebody had to win the game, and it was Oregon State. They looked good. They did. They looked good. Um, yeah, uh, Luton. That counted for six touchdowns, uh, five passing and one rushing. Big Balls Chip made a uh, made an appearance, going <laughs> forward on fourth and one. Uh, uh, some fancy special team plays, but they just weren't quite as uh, quite as effective as they were back when he was wearing the green and gold. Yeah, I think Isaiah Hodgins is going to mess around and make Pac-12 All First Team if he's going to keep up this pace. Yeah, he was playing with his hair on fire to quote the, yeah. uh, the Hawaii football team. 
Oregon State scored on their first three drives. And after that, it was back and forth. But when you uh, start the game up 21 points and just go back and forth, you're still going to end up winning the game. Congrats, by the way. This is Oregon State's first Pac-12 road win in five years. <laughs> I also heard that they were expecting a historically low attendance for this game. And then to, uh, to kind of bolster their numbers, they invited a bunch of high school area bands to perform. So there was another 3,000 people in the stands that were just invited high school <laughs> band members. Yeah. Uh, so they avoided that, uh, that historic low number. Still not a, not a good sign for the UCLA Bruins. I don't know. UCLA is traditionally, they give their coaches a long rope. Uh, Chip, Chip's using that rope rather quickly. <laughs> So what were some of the national games that stood out to you? Once Saturday hit and the game started to unfold, there were, uh, there were some things that piqued my interest. Mainly, Maryland seems to have remembered how to play football again. They kind of took out their, their frustrations from the last couple of weeks and put on quite the offensive display. Granted, it was Rutgers, but still, uh, 48 points is, is still 48 points. Also, the SMU-Tulsa game was, I think the technical term is slobberknocker from start to finish. Yeah. Uh, had everything you wanted a... in that game. Defensive touchdowns, offensive touchdowns, uh, a touchdown on which the ball was kicked by the team that scored the touchdown. Um, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> overtimes and mixed it, missed extra points, and it was everything that you – really wanted in a football game probably the most entertaining football game so far this year yeah it was a it was a barn burner uh sme was down by like three touchdowns at one point and then they came back and triple overtime to win the game so that was crazy what were some of the games that stood out to you this week uh i would say michigan state and ohio state the way ohio state just handled michigan state and it was it, it was over from the start because Michigan State screwed up a bunch by turning it over. And you can't turn it over against Ohio State and expect to succeed. Yeah, that's true. It seemed that Ohio State kind of yeah. overstaminated Michigan State. Michigan State had, had bouts of consistency uh, coming into the game yeah. and, and coming out of the half. Then uh, Ohio State, especially J.K. Dobbins, ran away with it. They held Michigan State to only 65 rushing yards for the game. Yep. Yeah, Michigan State kept themselves in it for as long as they could, but they got out-talented eventually. It was a good effort by them. I think they provided a blueprint to beat Ohio State down the road, but considering the talent of the Big Ten Conference, uh, I think Ohio State's going to run away with it. But they have a couple of tough games coming up, so we'll see how that turns out. Auburn and Florida, that was another interesting game at, in the 12:30 slot where Florida just they didn't have anything. Until Auburn just, just screwed it up. Yeah, that was another game where just somebody yeah. had to win it. Yeah. Both teams had four turnovers. Probably one of the best runs by a defensive lineman I've seen all year. Um, mm -hmm. With uh, Derek Brown scooping up that fumble and just tripping himself on the 40-yard line. It seemed like Bo Nix kind of remembered that he was a freshman and started playing like it. And it seems like Florida out-schemed Auburn secondary. Uh, it's a lot of the, the routes that they ran and a lot of the matchups 
stay exploited, um, mm -hmm. especially the big tight end with uh, Kyle Pitts. He's a big guy and can catch, and he's pretty quick. I thought that Auburn was going to come back in it once Kyle Trask went down uh, after being rolled up on by one of his linemen, but they just didn't seem to, to want to strike while that iron was hot. <clears throat> yeah, a couple of big 12 games I had an eye on throughout the afternoon was um, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech, and Texas Tech came away with a 10-point win, but Oklahoma State got a couple of touchdowns late to make it uh, the scoreline a little closer, but Texas Tech was just running away with it, the, you know, Big 12 defenses and all that. So, Again, much like uh, the Oregon State-UCLA game, Texas Tech just came out and scored 20 points, and then Oklahoma State decided they're going to start try to make it a football game. Um, and again, mm -hmm. you can't win a football game when you're spotting your opponent. 20, 21 points. I'm sure if they wouldn't have done that or if they would have played for another quarter or so, Oklahoma State probably would have won this game because they looked like they were getting stronger as the game went on. Yeah. Um, there was 1,095 yards of offense in this game. Yeah, That sounds like a Big 12 big game. Big 12. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's typical Big 12 for you. Jet Duffy. That guy is going to be really fun to watch. He had 420 four totally offensive yards, four passing touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown. Chuba Hubbard only ran for 156 yards. I think that's a season low for him. Mm -hmm. um, the Chuba Hubbard Heisman campaign definitely hit a, uh, hit a pothole there. <laughs> yeah, the next Big 12 game I had in my eye on was, um, was Texas against West Virginia. Texas ultimately won it. So it was kind of a trap game for Texas, considering uh, this upcoming week's opponent. But um, it was a it was another where Texas just pulled away. Texas defense looked good. It looked like they did uh, against LSU again. Um, a little bit different result. Um, some timely interceptions and uh, defensive backs were playing smart and making some pretty athletic plays. And Sam Ellinger kind of looked like that dark horse Heisman candidate that we went into the season talking about. I think it might be a little too little too late for him at this point to actually make a, a legitimate Heisman run, but if he would have been playing like this the last six weeks, then I'm pretty sure that he would have had a legitimate argument. Yeah, there was also another game in the uh in the who wants to win the ACC coastal division, <laughs> uh Virginia Tech and against Miami. Uh, Virginia Tech got off to like a 28 to nothing lead against Miami, and that was helped by Miami turning the ball over constantly. But um, Miami made a game of it, but it's just it got ugly there for a second. Miami is in a load of trouble if they let a team that just basically quit on their head coach go up on them so big. It's I don't know, they're acting like their uh owners, the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one of the biggest things that stuck out to me with this game was the inconsistent offensive line play that Miami has. They've been kind of struggling all year with uh, just keeping guys in, keeping them healthy, and having, I think, cohesive is a good way to put it, having a cohesive offensive line. Virginia Tech looked like, they, you're right, they did look like they just kind of gave up. They came in, they got a lead, and then they took their foot off the gas. And that's when Miami had a chance to, to come back up and have a really good chance to win the game. I think they were tied uh, at the middle of the fourth quarter, and then Virginia Tech put up a kind of a late touchdown 
Miami had a had a, a drive going at the end of the game, uh, helped out a lot by Virginia Tech penalties. The the interesting part about this game was that uh, Miami uh, had a sore to pass over the receiver in the end zone, which was supposedly the end of the game. But then after further review, the rest put one second back on the clock. Um, yeah. So for those of us who were watching it on TV, they had already finished the game and sent it over to the the Georgia-Tennessee game, uh, and then all of a sudden we are back to Miami to see that one final play, which ended up just being a batted down pass. Yeah, something about those ACC Coastal home clock operators, man. That's twice this year that's happened. Um, the first was North Carolina against Wake Forest, and North Carolina was driving down, and they, they ran out of time, and then they didn't put the one second back on the clock. Which admit which that game wasn't even a conference game, believe it or not. Oh yeah, that which is game. weird. The, yeah, that the was weird. Conference game. Yeah. <laughs> so it's now moving on to our Pac-12 preview section for this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's one game that's standing out to you the most besides um, the Oregon Colorado? Besides the Oregon Colorado game, um, I'm probably going to be keeping an eye out mostly on the washington arizona game uh arizona being four and one coming into the season their only loss was that week one game against hawaii and then washington coming off of a inept game against stanford uh, i want to see him see what's going to happen with this game i believe this is the pac-12 after dark game it is the pac-12 after dark game so being the pac-12 after dark game anything can happen arizona's looking Okay, not without its its flaws, but it does enough to make up for them. And Washington right now is so inconsistent, but their highs are so high that it's hard to count them out. The game is in Arizona, and Washington is, is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. So they're expected to win, um, and it's all going to depend on which Jacob Eason shows up to play the game. So what games are you looking forward to watching this weekend, Joseph? Pac-12 wise. Uh Pac-12 wise, uh probably the Washington double from the state of Washington. They're all both of them are playing in the um in the state of Arizona this weekend. So the biggest one I have an eye on is Washington against Arizona, where Washington has had some troubles in the state. We'll see if that trend continues. So what are you looking forward to seeing from the Utah-Oregon State game? I'm looking forward to uh, see if Oregon State can uh, compete with Utah's defense. If they have any more weapons other than Isaiah Hodgins to give Utah trouble. This is Oregon's prove-it game to me. They looked good in a losing effort against Stanford, and they looked obviously looked good against UCLA during – a winning effort, but those two teams are uh, not great. And so here comes a team that uh, they're good. They're ranked 15th right now. Um, and just to see how Oregon State steps up to the next level that they need to. I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon State was within a touchdown on this game. I don't expect them to win, but I expect it to be kind of close. I think so, too. It's going to be a pretty close one. I don't know what the spread is on it, but I think it's going to go below it. Uh, the spread right now is at 13 and a half. We'll be right back after a brief word from our sponsors on the SB Nation Podcast Network. 
Name me, you know, like um, the biggest game you're ha- keeping an eye on. Biggest game I'm looking forward to, uh, non-conference, is uh, Penn State versus Iowa. Um, Penn State seems to just be rolling through everybody that they played now um, since they kind of got the, the fleck of pit uh, out of their teeth. I think that Iowa was kind of a fluke. The Michigan game seemed to be kind of fluky for them. They didn't seem to to really get up for Michigan. Uh, I think they kind of dismissed them, and they want to need to have a get-right game, as they say, and just be able to come out and show the world that they know how to play football again. Um, yeah. Much like Penn State did with Maryland after Pitt. Um, that's what Iowa, I think, is going to want to do. And I think that they can. They need to get out fast, and they need to be relentless in order to do it. Because Penn State's not going to take it easily. But this is going yeah. to be the, the game of the week to watch for me. Yeah, there's a couple of prospects on each side that'll determine the matchup, the winner of this game, I think. Penn State has a retro sophomore receiver named KJ Hamler. He's been pretty good this year. He's been uh, blown up yak-wise, so he's he's a speed demon. I wonder how he's going to match up against Iowa secondary. Got to love that yak. He has a couple of guys in the trenches, both offense and defense, namely... Tristan Wirfs, he's one of the best tackles in this class. We'll see how he matches up against Penn State's underrated defense. And on the other side, there's um, Alaric Jackson. He's another highly rated offensive tackle for the Hawkeyes. It's going to be an interesting test for Penn State's front. And defensively, Iowa has one of the best edge rushers in the 2020 draft class named uh, A.J. Espensa. He's been getting a lot of draft hype from the community so we'll see how he handles Penn State. Um, yeah he's like uh, a little bit of uh, Terrell Suggs and a little bit of uh, uh, Cleveland Farrell. I think that this game's going to come down to uh, who wins the battle of the trenches. Yeah another game I have an eye on is um, is USC against Notre Dame during prime time. Yeah I don't see uh, USC uh, coming out on top on this one. I think it'll be, it'll be an okay game and there'll be a lot of pageantry and since it is a rivalry game mm-hmm. you guys will expect to, to give their best but I think that Notre Dame's best is better than USC's best at this point. USC has the receivers, uh, you know Michael Pittman, Micah Pittman's older brother mm-hmm. and Tyler Vaughn's to take advantage of the outside but it will probably won't matter because Notre Dame can neutralize USC's poor offensive line with a uh, Julius O'Cara and uh, their standout defense tackle. Um, I believe his last name's Kareem. USC's offensive line is bad, so Notre Dame will be looking to exploit that matchup. And I haven't seen who the starting quarterback for USC is going to be this week, whether it's Kaden uh, Slovis or Matt Fink. But in the end, I really don't think it matters. Um, I think they have got a better opportunity to win with Fink mm-hmm. because uh, when you're going into a game like this, you want that you want to exploit the high risk, high reward. Mm-hmm. Where Matt Fink has that gunslinger attitude. Yeah, I heard on the radio today that uh, Clay Hilton, Hilton came out and said that Slovis is going to start. So 
So uh, speaking of Notre Dame's edge prospect, his name is um, Julius Akara. I was speaking. I was thinking of Christian Okoye, the long time. That was way back in the day. The Chiefs defensive end. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys remember him, but he was a monster. You can't tell right now, but I'm shaking my head in agreement. Yeah, I'm only 31, and I remember him play. So that that's way back. I think it was the early eight, early 90s. But anyway, that's in the past. Uh, the I think the biggest game of the 9 a.m. slash noon slate is Red River Shootout, or collo- more colloquially known as uh, the Red River Rivalry, the Texas against Oklahoma. Yep, played in the Cotton Bowl at the State Fair each year. Uh, yeah, what do you uh, what do you think of uh, of Texas's chances of upsetting Oklahoma in this game? I think they have a chance if their defense shows up to play. So you're saying there's a chance? Yeah, Texas has a lot of guys on that defensive line. That's draftable, but um, the offense is going to have to win win it for them. Namely, Sam Ellinger and Colin Johnson, the big receiver. And the surprising guy for Texas this year has been their receiver, Devin DuVernay. He's been coming on a lot this season. Their defense is full of young secondary players as well. Uh, Brandon Jones and Caden Stearns. He's a sophomore this year, so he can't come out for the draft, but he's really good. I'm surprised that the spread on this game is only 11 points um, at the time of this recording. I expected, I expected it to be a lot more. I think that Oklahoma kind of runs away with it. Their uh, Their offensive weapons are match up really well with Texas's defensive secondary. Um, and all other things considered, I think it's a pretty even game, but it's going to come down to Oklahoma's embarrassment of riches at running back and the receiving positions. Yeah, Oklahoma's receiver, C.D. Lamb, he's one of the best receivers in this class. We'll see if Texas secondary can keep up with C.D. And Oklahoma has a lineman um, named um, Creed Humphreys. He's Creed. The, yeah, he's the best center in the class as well. So Oklahoma's going to control the line of scrimmage, I think. I don't know. This game might be the game that wins the Heisman and makes it three straight for Oklahoma quarterbacks <laughs> for Jalen Hurts. Another 330 game I have an eye on is uh, Clemson and Florida State. Of course you do. So, I think Clemson runs away with this one. The spread is, was up to 27 for Clemson. So I think it's going to be a little closer this year, I hope, because they won by like almost 50 last year, I believe. So I'm hoping it's, uh, I'm hoping it's a little closer. Yeah, the, uh, the spread is 27 with an over-under of 60. Yeah. Florida State having a bye week last week. We don't really have a what's really doing segment he didn't really do anything outrageous in the uh, bye week. Well, but boy, do I look forward to uh, to talking about him next week. Yeah, it's going to be ugly, I think. Well, he did do something today where he said that, or a couple of days ago, where he said that um, Alex Hornibrook and uh, Janice Blackman are going to both play in this game. So we'll see how Clemson's defense reacts to that because Clemson has a linebacker named Isaiah Simmons. He's very highly rated. Linebacker? Is he a safety? He's one of those hybrid guys. Yeah. I had him as a safety. 
He's he's mainly used as a linebacker in Brent Venable's defense. And we all know about Clemson's offense, offensive weapons, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Key Higgins, the receiver. Everyone's saying that, you know, Miami's the Miami Dolphins are gonna tank for Trevor if they don't get if they don't get tanked for Tua this season. <laughs> I don't know if Florida State secondary can keep up with T. Higgins. Even with their, you know, Florida speed, they don't have anybody there. That seems to be kind of a theme with the Seminoles, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'll be surprised if Clemson doesn't hit the over under by themselves. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't yeah. either. Yeah, but that's enough. Uh, poor Willie talk for this week. <laughs> <laughs> so what about the uh, the big the big game day? Florida going to Death Valley, uh, yeah. LSU on an evening game. Uh, not a lot of teams go into Death Valley at night and survive. Yeah, that's Death Valley at night is one of the hardest stadiums to win in in all of college football. There's something special about that place. When L- when LSU is going going good, you know Death Valley is one of the best stadium atmospheres, not only in the SEC but in the whole country. It's on my bucket list. I don't know if Florida has enough offense to compete with LSU, given their injuries. LSU's quarterback, Joe Burrows, he's getting top five hype in the draft after his start. Um, He took a a decently performing Utah State team last week and made them look like an FCS school. Yeah. And uh, LSU has a receiver named Justin Jefferson. Uh, Florida's going to have to have C.J. Henderson cover him and hope Joe Burrows uh, has a poor game at home. Uh, Florida's definitely got their work cut out for him. Joe Burrow was not the true freshman quarterback that Bo Nix was. And they yeah. played Bo Those teams seemed pretty evenly matched um, yeah. at any given time. I see, I see LSU coming out, winning this game pretty handily. Right now they're favored by two touchdowns, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were maybe 21, 24 points ahead. Florida's main hope is is in the trenches because LSU is missing a couple of their offensive linemen, and Florida has Jabari Zuniga and Jonathan Greenard. Bernard, oh, uh, the uh, the Louisville transfer. Yeah, he's been balling out this year. So Florida's main hope is getting to Burroughs in the trenches, and uh, LSU has a true freshman cornerback. Everyone needs to keep an eye on is uh is his name is Derek Stingley Jr. And he's arguably the best freshman cornerback ever. Well, not ever, but this year. So he's been playing very well this year for a true freshman. And LSU is a DBU of recent lore. So, and not to mention uh, Grant Delpit, the best safety in the class by far. By far. Yeah. It's not even close. I want it to be close, but it's not close. <laughs> I believe that wraps up our national preview segment for this weekend. Now we're going to preview Oregon and Colorado. So what are your thoughts on this game on a Friday night? Uh, it's a danger zone for Pac-12 teams. <laughs> yeah. Friday night's not a great night for teams to go into ranked. Uh, we saw that last week with UCF going into Cincinnati and kind of uh, just getting scrubbed up and down the field. Um, yeah. Cincinnati did what they wanted to do with that game. and There really wasn't anything that 
UCF can do to stop it. Um, so on that note, it kind of makes me nervous, uh, especially considering if LaVisca Chenault comes back. Uh, mm. Of all of the weapons that Colorado has, I think that he's going to be the one that's most difficult for us to to match up with, to game plan against. Um, his height and his his length and his athleticism makes it so where uh, Montez could throw the ball six feet away from him and he'd still be able to catch it somehow. If he's back, then it's going to be a nail-biter game, uh, at least for me. I think it's going to be a shootout. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, though, the, uh, the over-under is 57.5. I would take the over, but the conservative gameplay that people seem to have noticed us doing would lead me to believe that we would just get up by 10 and then do 12 straight running plays. So yeah. it's hard for me to tell. Um, I yeah. hope that at least we get up by 20 or so before we stop considering scoring more points. But Colorado kind of showed that it's not as deep as uh, we thought it was. A lot of their starters are going out. I think that they're on their fourth or fifth different offensive line combination. And then, of course, with Chenault out, um, which makes things that much more difficult for him. And yeah. I'm really excited to see how we game play now that we've seen a little bit more of what Pittman can do for us on offense and how we take advantage of, of his skill set and mm-hmm. opposing teams' respect of his skill set. I think uh, I think Chenault could be Colorado's Sammy Watkins in a way, hmm. how Clemson used him. Because they use them in all kinds of ways on toss sweeps, all your various routes. So we'll see how they use them. Yeah, I feel like he's injured a lot. And you know what they say, the best ability is availability. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested in seeing how Colorado and Oregon fare in the trenches, especially defensively for Colorado if Mustafa Johnson plays because he can be a game wrecker against Oregon's offensive line. Also, Colorado has their version of uh, Evan Weaver and Nate Landman. He's all over the place for that defense. Uh, do you have any predictions for this game? Oregon comes out on top 27-17, but it will be 20-3 to at the half. What about you? I feel like it's going to be Oregon maybe 38, Colorado 24. Because Oregon's offense has to really try in this game to keep up. They can't turn the ball over repeatedly like they did against Cal. True. Yeah, that wraps up our preview of Oregon and Colorado, Friday Night Lights version. So it's now on to our favorite segment of the show, the Quacks and Answers. Quacks and Answers. Get the answers here. Yeah, let me pull up the questions here. We, we have a lot of questions this week from Addicted Quack. Oh, good. So our first question is, Bill Musgrave asks, why are you doing this to us? Oh, Bill, there you are again with your questions veiled in innuendo. Well, Bill, uh, our, my answer is that uh, we, we like doing this show. So please rate, give us a rating and a review when you have the chance. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, We love your participation, by the way. Okay, and our next question is from Maticus X Finch. Who is 
Mill Busgrave. Who is Mill Busgrave? Yeah. Um, I think he was a famous duck that played alongside um, Smikili Ace. Yeah. Or or so, was it was it perhaps um, Jonathan Jewart? Yeah, I could I, I can never so that, really get that right. Well, my snarky way of ever answering that question would be it's an alter ego of Bill Musgrave on Addict to the Quack. <laughs> hmm. Very bad of you. I had an answer. I had a really snarky answer, but uh, I feel like he's the bus driver on the graveyard shift going to a mill. <laughs> That's a play on words there on the username. I think they're separate users, I hope. Okay, here's a really interesting question from uh, Gman A3201. This person asks, if nothing sticks to Teflon, how does the Teflon stick to the pan? Well, Gman, um, when a mommy pan and a daddy Teflon love each other very much, there's just a mutual attraction. Yeah, well, we'll just... We'll just keep it that keep it that way. This is a family show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Echo thirty one asks, "Why do we park in a driveway and drive on a parkway?" Well, that's the English language. It's a very complicated language we have to learn. Well, I drive down my driveway to get to my underground garage, which I affectionately refer to as my wall-to-wall carpet. Okay. <laughs> These are very, very interesting questions. <laughs> Thought-provoking, at least. Lots, yeah, lots of hy- hypotheticals. Well, we only cater to the, uh, the sophisticated philosophical crowd here at Crackback Block Show. Yes. The intelligentsia, so to speak. Mm, yeah. Okay, another question from G-Man, A3. Two zero one. He asks, or she asks, if you try to fail and succeed, which have you done? Neither. Or both. Or it's better to be lucky than good, I suppose. Better to have tried and failed than never to have tried at all. Yeah. And should have been the response that he says succeeded at failing. A young story about fantasy football. <laughs> Oh, I'm he cur- doesn't miss a barb, does he? Yeah, I'm currently winless. <laughs> so, our, okay, our next question is, Wiggity asks, uh, what is your half-season all-pack 12 team? That's a really good question. Mm, I feel like we could probably dedicate a whole episode to that. Yeah, uh, speaking of which, I'll probably have to write an article on that pretty soon. So pay attention, please. Stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. He also asks, would you rather see Oregon in the Rose Bowl or the playoff? Well, I would rather see Oregon in the playoff because that means that they are one of the top four teams in the nation. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they are, and I don't think that they would do very well against the other three team, top teams in the nation. But if we were in the Rose Bowl, we would probably end up at least winning that game and ending our season on a high note. I, I still think I would rather see Oregon fail in the championship 
than win at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. That's a good one. What do you think, Joseph? I think the Rose Bowl for the possible win because the other three teams would probably – Oregon's not on their level. <laughs> so they're getting there, but that, they're not on that level this year unless they get really lucky. So Auburn going down this week really diminished their chances even even further. Yeah, they would need like 2007 levels of chaos to make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Unless Alabama and Clemson decide to suddenly not not be good. I don't know. I could see Clemson dropping one in a freak game. And Alabama yeah. does have uh, a decent schedule and the possibility is there, but I wouldn't count on it. Our next question comes from Pelament. They ask, if you climb two stairs, if you climb stairs two steps at a time, are you being efficient, lazy, or a combination of the two? I like to think of it as efficient. Yeah. Also think as a trip hazard, but that's the OSHA guy speaking in me. But anyway. <laughs> it's efficient. Because some people are known to the trip going up the stairs rather than trip going down the stairs. Okay, uh, should have been a duck ass. Is Colorado going to exploit our defense and bring us back to Earth? Um, it's possible. Um, I don't know if I would quite use the word exploit. I think that Cal proved that our defense could be schemed, and especially with Cumberlander going down, um, it definitely makes us a little thin at that defensive end position. But um, no, I don't see. I don't really see Colorado exploiting our defense. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a close one, closer than the spread indicates, which is left to like twenty twenty one or twenty two, I believe, at this recording. I got twenty and a half. Yeah, for you gamblers out there, here's a little tip: Oregon has in three of the four games they have they have been under over under total, and they have they haven't covered this year. So keep that in mind when you place bets. Because <laughs> I don't feel like that's trend that trend is changing anytime soon this year, given our offensive tendencies. But I wouldn't be surprised uh if the trend continues after this week that the spread setters will start picking up on that. Yeah. Also, please uh please read the Know Thy Enemy article coming out on Thursday morning. It'll have all the gambling information in there, along with the analytics of this matchup. So please read that and comment. That's a very good article. It's a weekly article that I tried to do, and so please pay attention to that this week. Also, Grouchy Duck asks, um, <laughs> I don't know if I can answer this question. Well, we'll try. It's um, It's not a... <laughs> You can edit this out, right? Yeah. All yeah. Grasher right. Doug asks, do you think it's tacky for a sadist to tell a matchist to have a good day? Tacky? No. But very entertaining. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I have no answer for that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Pick Graz asks, I think this is a uh, this is a question more for you to answer. Okay. What is a what what is the best way to find a carpool 
so I don't drive to Eugene by myself from Portland to go to every game. I would check Craigslist. I would check. Um, there's an app called uh, Meetup, I believe, just for people commenters, or even just posting on Facebook. Hey, looking for a ride to Eugene? Does anybody have any hiccups? Yeah. There's yeah, also the fun. Bolt bus. Yeah. That goes from Portland to Eugene twice a day. You have to wake up pretty early to get to it, but if uh, if you wanted to cut down on your own driving, that's an option to explore. Yeah. The the Quackback Quack Show is uh, not only answering your funny questions, we also provide services. For a small okay, fee, fine. I'll come up and slap you down to Eugene. Yeah. <laughs> Our final question of the day is um, asked by Duck Trooper. They ask, how many zombies would Rob Zombie rob if Rob Zombie could rob zombies? <laughs> the, my answer would be unknown. So that wraps mm. up our back and answer segment for this week. So please submit your questions next week, and we'll try our best to answer them. So we, we've had uh, several news items uh, across the University of Oregon Athletics Department. Namely, the basketball had their media days today. I believe the conference voted Oregon to win the conference over Colorado. Uh, by a considerable amount. And I believe uh, Peyton Pritchard made all-conference first team. So Oregon is off to a pretty good start. It's the best kind of start that I like to do. And also, conference-wise, the, the, the basketball tournament is going to be in Las Vegas for a couple more years. So. It's going to be really fun being centralized in one location, both football and basketball. In more positive duck news, uh, Canton Lewis finally made a field goal last weekend after being over. I was having flashbacks to Maldonado there for a minute. You know, Oregon special teams, the living embodiment of hashtag college kickers. Also, we send our uh, prayers for a quick recovery to Gus Cumberlander. He was, he's a very good duck. So I hope he recovers enough to make an impact at the next level for the in the NFL. Get well soon, Gus. Yeah, that wraps up the Duck News segment. My closing thoughts are that Saturday's schedule is really loaded, so it's going to be awesome to watch all of them, all the games. So and uh, so hopefully Oregon wins on Friday night. So we're uh, we're in a good mood Saturday morning and afternoon. I think I think that was it for today's show. Um, once again, thank you, Tom, for helping me out, and um, and go ducks. Go ducks.